Hello, 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 everybody out there. And welcome to a very special Vibrant with not one special guest or two, but three very, very brilliant minds. Super excited to get into this tonight. We are joined by Dr. Bear Lando and Mike Winner of the Alpha Vedic crew, the Alpha cast. And Matt Presti returns fresh off of a pretty incredible documentary about dispelling dimensional madness, which we covered on a recent Interverse episode. Quite well received, I might add. That information is extremely timely as more and more people slide into the uh, mathematician's web of fiction. <laughs> that was pretty good spontaneous poetry. Super excited to talk to you all about uh, some Walter Russell cosmology, physics, secrets of light. Spent the day brushing up on a couple of Walter Russell writings that uh, Matt had shared with me, especially the one that we discussed in the previous episode about consciousness surviving after death. Pretty, pretty cool take that he had while he was uh, writing a letter to a friend who had recently had a loved one pass. So Matt Presti, you can find him at mattpresti.com. Mike and Bear are at alphavedic.com and the Alpha Cast on YouTube and I'll just say welcome, my friends, and thank you for uh, offering to come on the show tonight. And really excited to have you. How's it going, Dr. Lando? It's been a while since we spoke. Yeah, good to see you again. And uh, really appreciate you having me back here. This should be fun. One of my favorite topics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mike, it was your idea. So uh, what are you thinking about in terms of like the opener? You know, when you heard me and Matt talking the other night, what was your train of thought that was like, I got to get Baron here. Well, I mean, I just think the world needs Walter Russell more than ever now. Um, the fracturing, the the sort of um, uh, materialistic, uh, you know, overtaking of society and this, the, the, you know, the denial of gender, um, the, the denial of spirit. And then of course, you know, with Matt's latest amazing documentary, um, the sort of, I don't know, pop, new age, Gnostic uh, takeover we're seeing and our sort of truther scene. Um, I think Walter Russell uh, is the true sort of science that can ground us all and get us back to that inner stillness that is needed pretty badly right now. So I just was inspired by your talk uh, with Matt and uh, with Bear and I both watched his documentary. And then I was just thinking, hey, it'd be fun to have a roundtable discussion. Wow, very, very fun. And Matt, how are you doing, my friend? Friend, Better than great. Thanks. And thanks for the comments, Mike. I appreciate that. Yeah, so yeah, Dr. Leonard, what did you like about the documentary? What What has it got you thinking about? Well, the thing I liked most about it is that it was uh, from my friend, Matt Presti, who uh, I have to credit as... Um, being instrumental and really uh, initiating my deep dive into Walter Russell, you know, I was, he was on my radar and uh, I'd studied a lot of other, you know, great minds at the time and before. And uh, I listened to you, Matt, on uh, Red Ice Radio, I think. And uh, then I couldn't get enough. I listened to every interview and and then just, uh, you know, since I've read all of Walter's books and, and everything. And, and what I love about, you know, Walter is that um, he provided a reconciliation for me because a lot of what I was uh, researching really had no Western terminologies or 
um, cultural context to put things in. Uh, so Walter helped me reconcile those things, uh, you know, with more of a, an understanding, uh, you know, as far as waveform physics and things that were just, I, I needed that grounding because even though uh, one side of me knew the, you know, could just feel the truth of what you're saying, what I was learning, I, I needed to, uh, let my left brain, uh, so to speak, tell me that there was something to this. And so just reframing it the way Walter does and, and you know, what uh, Matt has brought out in his documentary is, um, you know, really achieved that. And it's really helped me uh, uh, apply the principles and not just stay in the world of academics. And I, I, I know uh, Matt has done that well uh, as well, you know, with his different endeavors, including music and farming and so forth. So anyway. Now I'm not as well versed with the books that Walter Russell wrote, but I knew when I saw him that this is somebody worth listening to because who has time in life, you know, who isn't chained to the clock in a way. Uh, who isn't free enough to do five different types of art, fine art and become a master at it. You know, there's very few people that actually even master one thing. So being that my personal take on like what constitutes spirituality is a very much related to one's connection to creativity, thus the creator, you know, itself, the creative intelligence dynamic mind that is all universe. I thought, okay, this is somebody that's clearly tapped in. And, you know, his descriptions of the divine illumination experience he had sound a lot like things that maybe I was on the threshold of in times of my life and scared to go all the way into. Uh, But most importantly, I think his work really resonates with the experiential knowing that I've had through energy work with people that, you know, this really is a mental universe. And so, you know, in terms of the uh, the difference between materialist physics, if we could even call their paradigm physics and what Walter Russell puts forward, maybe we could start to lay some of the groundwork of what is different from one philosophy to the other. Matt, you want to start? start? Sure. Um, first, I got to say, I'm honored. Thank you, Dr. Barry, for your comments. Just just incredible. I, you know, I try to be as humble as possible. I, I Really, it's not me that has the effect on people. It's it's the work. You know, this is the great work. And I'm I'm honored to be a vehicle for that, you know, to help with in any way I can assisting in the growth of, of cosmic man on this planet. And uh, really, everybody, it's you that does the work, you know, no matter who brings it to you, you're the final arbiter in your own success story and your own application of that, of the resources that you, you come across and how you employ them into your life. But thank you very much for those comments. Um, you guys are an inspiration as well. I've, you know, Dr. Barry's done a lot of work with different medicine and, and farming techniques and check out his work for sure, folks. And Mike as well. Slick dissident. I'm not familiar with you, but I'm sure I'll get to know you by the end of this. So, uh, yeah, this is so your my co host, Gabriel. He's always here on my Wednesday night show. And, okay. uh, you know, he's, he's a living proof of how everything is connected to everything because <laughs> he knows how to connect everything to everything symbolically. And, uh, just a really all around, Gabriel, I know you can introduce yourself, but, and maybe you should. It's been a while, but, uh, this is a guy who's well versed in the science of the body, the true mechanics of, 
all things Marshall. And thus he's learned to move in some very different ways and his mind then also moves in some very different ways. Thank you. Thank you. Good to meet you, brother. And uh, to answer your question, Chance, I think you you hit the, the nail on the head. We, it's my it's my understanding my my knowledge approach to this universe that we do live in a mind wave universe and mind you know being causal where in materialist science physicalism uh particles are causal you know that there's no consciousness in the brain it's a it's an apparition that they're chasing down in neuroscience it's kind of like a mouse locked in a in a cage trying to find an invisible piece of cheese. And uh, it just seems to me they've been hunting and searching in different parts of the brain, even around the brain, different parts of the body and still can't find it. That's because it's, it's more a field, a universal field than it is a particle, but it does wave when you decide to take an action, your mind makes that mental choice. And then the body is the waving machine, the mechanism that then creates waves that mirror out in in the the multiple directions of the cubic wave field. And nobody before or after my reading of Walter Russell has has really laid out a blueprint for how this mind wave universe actually operates. So his wave made perfect sense to me being a musician. On one reading, I was so moved by the secret of light that you know, I told my beloved, I never have to read another book as long as I live. This this is literally the most precise truth that I've ever read. And it, it hit me right in the heart. So everybody, I recommend check it out. And I was gifted a code to give your listeners. Um, philosophy.org is the home website for all things Walter and Leo Russell. Philosophy.org forward slash store. And if you enter the code TEC, it's all caps, T-E-C, Thomas Edward Cotton, 20, TEC 20, you will get 20% off any purchase from the store at the Walter Russell and Leo Russell main website, which is philosophy.org. So again, thanks guys for having me on. It's an honor to be here. I just want to say too, on that discount, you can get some pretty sweet posters I've got two framed here. I've got Walter's uh, periodic chart there, uh, one of his many periodic charts. And I've got another one back in the corner. You probably can't see it way back over there above the Brown's gas machine uh, that I ordered when you were first on AlphaCast uh, with that discount. So I don't know if they still selling those, but they are phenomenal to own. Uh, highly recommend. And yes, they do. They sell that and even more. Now there's a few more posters added. So check it out. Also, um, I love listening to to Walter Russell's books I, um, as well as reading them. There's nothing like owning the physical books, of course, and please go buy those. Um, but you can Brian Scott's channel, which is phenomenal. He's covered a lot of Walter Russell and Lau stuff. He has the secret of light that he reads and he's got really awesome graphics to it. Um, so I was like, when I'm gardening and I'm doing things, sometimes I just have that on or doing dishes. I have it on in the background because it's just fun to like subconsciously take in Walter Russell sometimes because it can be a little dense. It can be uh, a little daunting to the newbie. 
And uh, sometimes just playing it on the background can help you start to get in tune with the language because Walter does have sort of his own language. Wouldn't you say, Matt, it's very unique? Indeed. He he speaks in music. (laughs) There's a certain cadence to his poetic style of dissertation and writing and it's something that really moved me. There's a, that cadence is divine. That's all I can call it. And uh, there won't be a page that you don't encounter that doesn't offer you some inspiration. And uh, yeah, it's, it's great, you know, great, great study. And for the price, you know, know, all the material the university offers for $1,500 and that lasts you a lifetime where it, for three textbooks at a, at a highfalutin university would cost you $1,500. But you'll learn more than you could learn at a university if you were there for 30 years versus $1,500 of material that will last you a lifetime and, and, and always keep giving. That's a gift that continually re-gives for the duration of one's life. And even those who receive that work, you know, after someone passes, which I've, I've got a lot of phone calls in the past of people's children who inherited Russell books and they discovered, oh, my mom and dad had this collection and they read it and then they call the university and say, hey, this is the most inspiring stuff I've read. Where, where has this guy been all my life and why haven't I ever heard of him? That's one of the top comments I got too. But You know, Walter's uh, writing style is really functional as well because he'll take, um, you know, a particular element that he's trying to uh, you know, put forth and he repeats it from many different angles. He'll, you know, go forward, reverse, and then put it in a different context. And so, you know, when you get used to it, at first it's like, well, he keeps repeating the same thing. And, and you know, it really bears repeating, especially if you're a new student to Walter. But there's a, a, a definite method, I believe, behind his writing. And it was really helpful for me when I first started. I think, and also what's really great about his entire canon of work is that as an artist, a master, he can also give you a visual depiction of what he's trying to describe. And in fact, that's kind of even necessary for the understanding. And so because we do have a video component to this show, maybe we will get into a couple of those. An example that is a great example is, let me pull this up here. (laughs) <laughs> the poster that Mike was just showing uh, would like to get that. Yeah. A little bigger. So this is his, his periodic chart of the elements. And as you can see, we're looking at a, a very different structure than the periodic table that is going to be at your high school chemistry class. And uh, you know, what are we looking at here, guys? What is, what is the structure here implying? Well, I can take that if you guys want. Um, starting in the top left, uh, the Mendeleev chart, typical scientific chemistry chart of the elements begins with hydrogen, which is actually the beginning element of the fourth octave. Um, to the left, you'll see a first, second, and third octave. Those are what are referred to as the space gases. That's what replaces the ether concept, uh, as opposed to being little ball bearings that bounce to to simulate the motions of light and space. Walter Russell being able to see the construction of the atom and see behind matter itself through divine illumination 
came up with these charts and 39,000 words, which he called the Divine Iliad, the message of the Divine Iliad. And he was commanded to give this knowledge to the world of science, who was basically taking the, the creator and removing it from its own creation. Sort of like taking the painter and saying that there's this painting, but we don't need a painter. Here's this poem. We don't need a poet. We're just going to deal with the after effects of everything and, and work backwards until we find the cause of it. And so you get these ludicrous theories like the Big Bang and dark matter, um, the strong and weak nuclear forces, which actually don't exist. They're just models. You know, the atomic theory of the atom with the protons, neutrons, and electrons is simply a model. It doesn't actually have an existence. I can show you pictures of real atoms if you'd like to see those at some point. But to get back to the chart, the first through the third octave accounts for the motions of light in space. And that's what light waves through. And space actually moves with its solids, according to Russell. So all of space and matter is moving together. Um, so you begin on the center line of the first octave through the ninth. Those black circles going straight down the center are what are referred to as the inert gases, which Russell called the master tones or the master elements. And those inert gases, if you have the white light, the still white magnetic light, which I showed in a, uh, a video demonstration using a magnet, you can clearly see that between all polarized conditions, there's a white, still white magnetic light. When that light divides, it projects through the inert gases, which are closest to the planes of the cube. Those projections create all matter and form, including the elements. And so each octave is centered by an inert gas. And each of these sides of the octaves are male and female. And they combine to create the different elements that we see. And a combination of elements are fully toned. And when you get further up, if you notice the first three of every octave are what you'll see on the, the first three notches on each side of every inert gas, you'll see three notches in that spiral wave. Those are fully toned elements. The ones that you see between those notches which are the lighter notches, like for instance, in the sixth octave, we have titanium, vanadium, chromium, manganese, iron. Those slight, those, those slivers, those lines are actually what, what are called split tones. So in other words, those are isotopes. And the more isotopes become more and more multiplied as you go down to the ninth octave. Because from the first octave, matter is winding up from a zero condition until the hole closes at carbon in the fourth octave. And then everything beyond carbon creates another hole that spreads out. So from zero to carbon, all those elements are closing the hole. And from carbon beyond to plutonium to the ninth octave, that hole is expanding into greater and greater force, greater and greater vibration, and more rings thrown off. So you can think of matter itself as having a, a lifespan. And this is a map of matter's lifespan. 
And it's brilliant the way that he describes it. I could go further into detail, but I don't want to go too far. And But uh, I'd recommend definitely people check out uh, Atomic Suicide, A New Concept of the Universe, and uh, In the Wave Lies the Secret of Creation. Mike just held that book up. But all of those are good, good uh, uh, companions to uh, help figure this stuff out. It's a new science. It's what Walter termed the new science of tomorrow. Because it's literally going to replace the old science that removed the creator from its own creation, which is what Walter Russell said is the cardinal error that science has made. I have a question, Matt, because reading Walter, he often does mention atoms, and it almost seems like he could be an atomist in the way he uses that language. But really what he's talking, and he does mention particles, too, and like the Universal One and stuff, but he's coming from a different perspective, correct? Is there any way you could enlighten us a little bit on that some more or bear? Go ahead. Yeah, okay. Well, from the zero, the first octave to the fourth, again, you have the, the centering hole is closing and it closes with each octave until it reaches carbon, which is actually the God particle. And so you could think of that as protonic forces being waves. Everything is waves in Russell science. Particles are also waves. They're just highly condensed waves that appear to be solid to our senses, right? So once you get to carbon, again, you, you close the centering hole. And carbon is, in scientific terms, the reason I call it the God particle is because it's the most balanced particle in existence. It's the most common element in the universe. It has the most known chemical bonds of 10 million plus. And so it bonds to pretty much everything. And so it's a, a very, um, a very um, usable, <laughs> usable element. Versatile is the word I'd use. Carbon is extremely versatile. And so would the creator be if this is a created universe, a creating universe, sorry, not a created, but rather a creating universe. And so when you think of matter, the way I like to look at it, if all is truly waves, then a better model that lines up with Russell's science, and this came to me through prolonged study of it, is if hydrogen has one atom, or I'm sorry, one electron, then if you threw a stone of hydrogen into a pond, there would only be one ripple. Okay, but if I throw a stone of hydrogen into a pond, I'm sorry, a stone of plutonium into a pond, there would be 92 uh, electrons or ripples. Okay, so those are waves given off, but they're not to be thought of as particles spinning around a nucleus. They're actually wave rings, not particles making those rings. And that's where science confuses particles and waves they actually think those rings around elements are particles instead of waves so when you throw a rock into the water it's not what's given off in those concentric rings are not particles spinning around the rock it's waves right and so when waves close toward a center we can call that motion protonic when it reverses at the neutral center, we can call those neutronic or neutral or neutronic, you know, neutron. And when it expands at the equator, we can call that electronic or electron. You know, that's that's the way I'd like to think about it. 
It helps to explain how we live in a wave universe versus a particle, atomic particle, uh, false electromagnetic gravitic universe, which is what they currently look at the universe as being now. Yeah. And of course, they use electrons uh, to explain how the elements are different. Right. And how the molecules work. And and that actually takes out the ability for transmutation. Where with Walters, when you understand the waveforms, how they're all essentially just different octaves of the same wave, then it makes the the alchemist mind uh, can can mesh with that easier, right? In terms of in terms of actually how metals can transmute and how that works, and and then of course the wave we like to always think of the wave is just this sort of up and down motion, but it's actually much more complex than that. We, we're dealing with centrifugal and centrifugal vortexes, right? That are going through the wave. So there's a lot going on. It's not just an up and down from what I understand from looking at Walter's uh, amazing art and charts. So like a spiral being a three dimensional wave rather than as we would draw it on a screen or two dimensionally. Correct. So also we're saying that all matter is one thing like a guitar string can play a high G or a low G or a mid G. It's all the same thing being wave mechanics, but there's different pressure conditions within the wave, different tonal pressure conditions, which are created by centripetal vortices and then centrifugal vortices. So you have four poles in Russell science, a north and south and an east and west pole. And all bodies in existence being three dimensional and having a doubly charged dual hemispheric nature are the, all the proof you need right there to see that this universal construct of as above, so below, as within, so without, the wave is the same for all bodies in motion. A key takeaway with that um, initial chart you showed is that everything is in cyclic flux, and that is in great contrast to scientism, which uh, thinks of things in fixed states of matter. And uh, that becomes uh, extremely relevant when you're engaged in practical science, uh, whether it's farming, medicine, uh, engaging in music, it doesn't matter. Because then when you understand how that works, then you can be an active participant in, uh, as Mike mentioned, the transmutation of these elements. And these elements, um, just like organisms, microorganisms in the body that go through similar cyclic changes, they all provide very specific functions within nature, whether it's the, from the, the mineral kingdom in the ground, uh, you know, the microbes, the fung, fungi, um, you know, the animal kingdom, we all go through these very predictable cyclic fluxes and we have different functions in each one of those states. So if I'm in my alchemy lab, that has again, great import because what I'm doing is uh, with that awareness, creating changes that mimic what maybe nature would take thousands of years, you know, in order for one element to climb through the octaves, uh, you know, uh, to transmute into another, you can do that in, you know, weeks, days, months, years. And uh, the same thing in medicine, 
Uh, it allows us to understand a functional whole rather than think that there are uh, anything from microorganisms to organ systems to you name it that aren't in these uh, same um, cyclic fluctuations, uh, you know, because if you again go into the conventional understanding, it's, it, you, there's really nothing to work with. It's a deterministic, uh, sort of state of mind and really takes us out of the co-creation driver's seat. So with so this, uh, with, uh, sorry there, with this physics, we could actually conceive of transmutation. So turning one element into another. And, uh, what, and uh, what, what would that be like? Dr. Russell actually did it. He, uh, I was fortunate enough with Darren Colomb, the ex-chief science officer of the University of Science Philosophy and chief archivist. We went over discoveries in his own personal journals as well as uh, typed up papers of communications between Walter Russell and Westinghouse. He borrowed a laboratory in New York from Westinghouse where he successfully transmuted hydrogen 17 different times. And he used a vacuum tube and put the hydrogen in there and applied electricity to it and was able to create nitrogen, 67% nitrogen out of that electrical reaction. So he started with hydrogen and he used this particular uh First, he used glass, then he used iron, then he used another uh, substance because they kept checking these results and they kept arguing with him saying it must be wrong. This can't possibly be happening. There can't be 67% nitrogen left over when there was hydrogen only in there to begin with. Well, he finally, <laughs> he got tired of doing this. And after 17 times, he just said, look, if, if you don't believe me, I can't help you but I'm not going to stay here and show you this over and over and over again because I'm wasting my time. And that's, that's the problem when, when genius comes across what you might call mediocrity, which might be the reason he came up with that was because they just couldn't understand him, And they actually accused his equipment of being faulty and made him change it. He still was able to reproduce the same results despite the different, uh, makeup of that of that vacuum chamber, and it was frustrating for him. I know it was because his his letters make it such apparent, and uh, you know he also found elements that other people took credit for. He predicted heavy water, gave lectures in California to three hundred, four hundred prominent scientists. Uh, I'm not sure what university it would have been back in the late twenties, early thirties, but uh, the the person who was credited with discovering heavy water was given that idea from a lecture he gave. Said if you if you look in a certain place, you'll find that these elements combine to form heavy water. And so he was just always overlooked. We have records of him writing to the Nobel Prize Commission uh, asking for posthumous uh, consideration for his discoveries. He said that. You know, it wasn't so bad that they took his discoveries, but that they misused it. And uh, one of the other ones he he discovered was plutonium and uranium, and or pluton 
plutonium and neptunium, which he named urium and uridium in his actual chart. And they took that and turned it into weapons. So that, that was very difficult for him to, to deal with. And that's probably what led him also to write atomic suicide, but he was just truly never really given the credit he deserves. And he wrote that that's typical when genius comes, when mediocrity comes across genius, they always crucify it. And it's no different than what Edison did to Tesla. He crucified Tesla for his use of alternating current, which is what we use today, thankfully, or only select few places on this earth would even have electricity because DC would require transmission lines that are, that would have used up all the copper in the world with the first 30 cities it powered. So, I mean, it's just one of those things that, that is endemic when, when genius (laughs) mingles with mediocrity, mediocrity always crucifies it. Well, and I think this is why the alchemists of yore have always hidden the true art of it because of that same exact, well, that and the fear that the profane would use it for a great evil, like what happened with Walter's atomic suicide stuff, um, uh, which is a whole rabbit hole we can go down <laughs> in terms of nukes and everything. But uh, that that being said, um, Bear and I talked about in a recent alpha cast and Bear, you know, you can enlighten the audience here. Our bodies literally do that every day. The hydrogen to nitrogen. We are transmuting that every day. Yeah, that um, gives an entirely new context to the idea of breatharianism or the Brown's gas hydrogen machine. That if you're just getting hydrogen in your body, your body can turn that into anything. Yeah, and uh, on that podcast, we gave some examples, uh, you know, that have been studied very uh, closely to validate this. And um, one gentleman was speaking about his time living in India where they put salt on everything. And uh, he just figured, well, that was uh, in order to, you know, maintain fluids in a tropical environment. But then later on, he found out that salt, sodium, was actually transmuted into potassium. And potassium actually has a cooling effect on the body. Uh, this similar with people that are maybe eating an abundance of protein, you know, with the heavy nitrogenous waste products that you would expect uh, actually have the opposite because their body will, maybe in the absence of uh, elements it would get from plant matter, uh, you know, needing those will transmute the uh, animal protein or whatever the source of the protein is into that other element, vice versa. So our bodies do this all the time. And uh, there's another gentleman who I would consider kind of the, uh, maybe the Tesla of uh, botany, his name was Kiri Reams, and uh, he developed um, a system of testing for agriculture, which was then later applied to um, the healing arts and something that I did and still do for years and years. I use it. Uh, it's called ionization analysis, and I use it to test the soil and for the fluids in people's uh, bodies. And the reason why I bring this up is because in that he understood and gave uh, a very uh, practical means to make a molecular conversion into electrical vectors because he understood it was all about electricity. And uh, just like uh, Walters, um, where he'll look at the different 
quadrants, uh, you know, uh, relative to north, south, east, west, you know, the, the prolation poles and the oblation, you know, the east, west. Um, with this ionization analysis, uh, you can actually discern where uh, the vortexes are maybe skewed in a skewed in a in a certain direction, and you can see that right in chemistry. Uh, other uh, instruments um, like uh, th- this is where I, I just I think a little. Um, this is a good demonstration because it, it shows through the work of Kerry Reams and also, uh, you know, Austrian physicist by the name of, uh, Ernst Lanker, uh, uh, Lecker, um, who developed this antenna here. It has, um, I don't know if he was a student from, of Walter or not, but he sure seemed to be because this instrument also allows me through radiostasia to, uh, discern uh, those polarity distortions north, south, east, west in a person's body. And, uh, curiously here you have 18 different dimensions. And, and Matt, I'd like to hear your explanation because I know the new age community is, um, just, really distorting the understanding of dimensions, you know, and, 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 you know, that's, that's another thing, uh, terminology they use very loosely. Uh, but uh, within these uh, 18 dimensions, which conform to Walter Russell's uh, description of waveforms having 18 dimensions, there's also increments and medically we've been able to discern what each of these uh, means uh, to the different subtle bodies of the human body, the physical body, the, you know, different uh, organic functions and so forth. So when I say uh, Walter Russell's uh, understanding, what it did for me, it, it really helped me translate what I was actually seeing, uh, observing, and measuring in in uh, plant material, in soil, and in bodies, and then through that extrapolation, actually become uh, more adept at providing solutions. Hey, hey Bear, can you show uh, that lecture, like the antenna up onto the oh, screen sorry. so we can see it? Yeah, so this is so an analog device. Uh, yeah, this is like a, um, you know, the, the great thing about, we'll call it non-conventional instrumentation is that you really have to attune yourself so that you not only are getting quantitative uh, information, but also uh, able to measure the qualitative side of things, which conventional science doesn't do. Uh, Of course, the qualitative side would begin with our creator, (laughs) you know, who has the original idea in the first place. So, um, yeah, this is a dual impedance antenna. And uh, depending on, you know, what you're trying to, what questions you're trying to ask a particular energy field, uh, say in a human body, then with some experience, you know where to set the cursor here. And then you're going to get a reading relative to that uh, level of that person's electrical phenomena. So we're talking about radiesthesia here. As somebody that has gotten pretty adept at just simple dowsing tools, I'm not at all uh, surprised at the complexity that we can add to these still yet very simple detection devices so it'd be like akin to a dowsing rod where you had a some kind of a dial or a slide on it and whatever you set that dial to was a different parameter of what you were investigating but you know interestingly enough you can do the same thing just with the thought intention as well so whether you're using simple dowsing tools like the ancients would have had or you've made something with a more 
uh, <laughs> more of an interface of of language on it so that other people can see that that's the setting you had it on, which is cool. It gives some verifiability to it. Uh, the, you know, what you're talking about investigating different informational fields or energy fields is something that is quite simple and accessible to all of us. It's like we're communicating with the, the life force energy that is what gives us a sense of consciousness or intelligence to begin with. So we're, you know, we have that tool at hand at all times. You can even and, train your body to do, do the same exact thing. Yeah. And what's cool chance. Cause you know, with the work you do um, with uh, uh, tuning forks, I've always got the sonic slider at hand. Um, you, you can do this uh, re- virtually and remotely and at any distance instantly. Uh, and Walter's, you know, physics explains this, explains that we're all immediately connected, that time and Matt could probably go into this a little better than I, the way that time matter um, uh, sort of, um, I don't know, uh, structuring is not, it is sequential in that, that the frames of reality are devised that way so that we can have an experience, but it's all one. And, um, and so we're all one and we're all essentially uh, in this mental oneness together. And so in that we can tap into that singularity, <laughs> there is a triggering word, but it is a, Walter does talk about a singularity. It's the original organic, uh, real singularity instantly and across time and space forward, backward anyway. So, um, it's really fascinating because I know bear, you do that. You've done that across the world instantly with on somebody. Yeah. I want to weigh in on that too, that, the way I conceptualize a singularity is the life force itself. And it's not even exactly a force. It's not even exactly a field. It is an indivisible mental framework. You could call it that is the it's indivisible in the sense that the life force energy that animates this vessel gives me a sense of consciousness is not separate in any way from any other life force energy anywhere. So like consider that there's water as a metaphor for this in the air around you, there's water in your body. There's water in the ocean. Is any of that water separate or is it all one continuum? And you can kind of look at the life force energy or the, the singularity of the mental plane of existence that way, or the mind of the creator, God's imagination. And <laughs> that is a, it also transcends time in a weird way. Like I'll give an, a client example of somebody who had been having skin problems that had recurred from when they were a child, they had skin problems as a child and now it was happening again in their like later life. And uh, we, they're also wanting to deal with a seatbelt injury. <laughs> and it turned out that they were, you know, that this, these things were actually connected that from some experience they had in childhood, uh, you know, involving some sexual abuse and misconduct that they were, it was a boundary issue. You know, they, they had developed trouble saying no because they had been, their boundaries had been violated when they were young. And that sense of bracing for impact from what was happening when they were a child was what happened in this car accident that they're having seatbelt trauma from. So I'm bringing this all forward uh, to illustrate the example that the ordering principle of the cosmos is meaning itself is meaning. So what materialism gets wrong is the meaninglessness of it. When they look at chaos or entropy, that it's all just random and it doesn't mean anything. When in fact, everything that ever comes about is intrinsically meaningful. And the meaning is what 
brings about the manifestation. It's not manifestation. And then we apply meaning to it. It's that there's meaning and then there's manifestation. Yeah. I'll just say one thing. And then, um, and Walter would say that's thinking, thinking is everything, which comes from the, the universal mind. And that out of that comes ideas and that there is no entropy. Am I correct, Matt? There is no entropy. Well, centropy would be the, the building up, I think, and entropy, the breaking down. So there's both of those dualistic conditions. But behind the divided light, which is the red and blue color spectrum, is the white light, which is the undivided. It's the silence, the stillness. Beethoven called it the silence between the notes. That's where God dwells. So uh, be still and know. These these are the kinds of sayings. That's why I, I sort of debunked the whole raise your vibration of the new age, because literally you'll, you know, a fever, for instance, is a high vibration. You know, when the temperature rises in the human body to dispel a toxin, for instance, it heats up in an effort to try to expel that toxin to kill it to, uh, you know, and, and it's dangerous, you know, so you got to be very careful who you listen to or you take advice from. And I know exactly where this idea of raise your vibration in the new age comes from is the Kabbalion, which says that God vibrates in a, at an extremely high frequency, which isn't the case. You have, uh, many mystics that controvert that, that dangerous idea. So, uh, you know, for instance, Lao Tzu, Walter Russell, Meister Eckhart, there's just many who have done the, the deep meditation. So whenever three initiates or Masons come along and say, this is what God is, I'd be highly skeptical of that. But as for the rest of the Kabbalion, it seems to fit only that one part I would disagree with. But, um, to your question, yeah, the, 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 the causal force of all nature and all man-made uh, creations is the mind and the mind is universal. It's the, um, it's omnipresent, meaning anywhere there's life or matter for that matter, there's mind and matter is also, you know, mineral is centered by mind. Plant is centered by mind. Animal is centered by mind. Centered and bounded as that magnet demonstration we showed on your uh, previous you like interview with like, me. Would you like to watch that? Actually, I have that loaded up. Sure. That'd be, that'd be great. Can I talk over it? Is it? I think so. Let me start. Let me fire it up. It's a minute and a half long clip. So uh, I think I can okay, I'll just it while wait. it's playing. So with the ring magnets, I've got two ring magnets here and I've got a steel washer, which is going to exaggerate that white line between the two magnets. Okay. So let's do this. Okay. So there's your, you got the white on the outside and the white on the inside and the white light, right? Looks like an eye. There's your white line in between the two magnets. This is even better to show it perhaps this way. There you go. So that's the light of the creator. That's the undivided white still magnetic light, which is between the polarized conditions of all physical bodies. Isn't that something? Yeah, dude. That's so you just, cool. you can see God in the laboratory if you know what to look for. 
And that's if you had an instrument like this green magnet paper that could detect there's white light right between you, dividing you perfectly in half. And that's the marriage of the two opposites. That's the secret in alchemy. In that white light between your two hemispheres is where the mind is located. And get to know it, people. You don't need another dimension. You don't need to raise your vibration. It's all right here. Mm. I pretty much covered it. (laughs) But yeah, it centers every cell in your body, every corpuscle of matter, every mineral, every large and small object being all objects of a three dimensionality are all doubly charged, which means there's a centripetal force of inward where the two you breathe in and you exhale one. So the two become one and the one becomes two again in sequential rhythmic interchange. Yeah, I love, Matt, how you say you can find God with every breath, every intake and outtake. Between those is God. I mean, we, we literally have it at our right ear, guys. Yeah, you hit, you hit the cubic wave field, the plane of the cube. When you exhale all the way, you have to, you hit the flat plane of a cube and reverse in the other direction. You breathe in all the way, inhale. You can only go so far, you run into God again, and you got to go the other direction. But that light centers and bounds all motions in the temporal universe. But that light is not motion itself. Motion is what you'd call the thinking of the creator, which is dualistic. So that's why I came up with the word trialistic or triality, which is, you know, the center, which... You know, the concept is ages old. Hermeticism covered this. Uh, alchemy in its marriage of opposites covers this. Just research, look at, take time and look at some of the alchemical drawings where the sun and the moon, the male and female are on each side. And then between them is the Vesica Pisces, which is the union. And then the savior child in the center of that Vesica Pisces. That's you. You know, and when you understand that you're that savior to the degree that you really truly understand it, then you'll know what the Christ meant when he said, that's the Trinity you know? right there, Matt. Exactly. So I'm going to expose a ton of ignorance in the presence of so much wisdom here. Uh, but uh, I've been studying the Enneagram. Uh, pretty actively and um i notice you mentioned uh that uranium and neptunium were uh key to walter russell's uh his breakthroughs and uh and this is hitting a note for me uh because in my enneagram work there are planetary correspondences and um this is so far out i want to ask this does Walter Russell, uh, would the atomic numbers still hold? Would we still use 92 for uranium, 93 for neptunium? Is that still uh, cohesive to his system? Well, that's that's debatable. I mean, it, it, it's a model again. It, it works until, you know, you, you replace it with something that works better. To my knowledge, he never numbered the elements 
in that way. He, he purposely put them in a spiral chart. He said all direction is curved and all motion is spiral. So literally, you know, that there are no straight lines in nature. So that's, yeah, to my knowledge, he never numbered, but I mean, there, there probably could be a new numbering system that would be needed. A lot of science needs an upgrade. Yeah. You know, and that, that's the hope is to see people that take an interest in this, a serious interest, not just to, to beat it down and, and, and call it quackery or, you know, which is what we run into a lot. Physicists are in a belief system themselves. They have a very difficult time unlearning things that they've learned for career reasons and other otherwise, but I think it can be done. You know, it's just going to take some time and people committed to upgrading. The numbering system would be pretty much just the tonal fields, the seven tonal fields in each octave and the octaves. And and I think that's pretty much all you need to know. And, uh, you know, we're talking about carbon before, as far as being the sacred molecule, the, the apex. And uh, if we understand how that pressure builds through those uh, tonal fields to the octaves and, and then all the way to a crescendo and in carbon, just like a good piece of music, you know, it hits that, that uh, note. And then, uh, you know, that's where carbon has the highest melting point. What is it that about uh, 4,800 degrees or something? Um, and then, uh, and then it kind of creates a whiplash effect where, um, uh, you know, it has to reach that peak and then it descends down to nitrogen, I think, in that uh, same tonal field. And then nitrogen has a, uh, you know, like half the melting point. But anyway, it's the, the point is, is it's just if you understand how the pressure zones build and then descend through the octaves, uh, that's pretty much a numbering system. You know, with the Enneagram, um, if you've ever gotten into vortex mathematics where it shows how the Enneagram is, is formed mathematically and, you know, Tesla is into the, the, the three times three and, and, you know, just like Walter, um, you know, you have the, the nine, the nine, you know, on a psychological profiles kind of encompasses, uh, you know, an awareness of all the other fixations on that nine pointed star. So that's like fulcrum, the stillness, because you're, you're everything. And then you have the three and the six that hang down, which are nothing more than the pendulum going back and forth, which is the two polarities or uh-huh. the plucking the guitar string that, you know, allows the, you know, the, the, the polarization and, and therefore the resonance, uh, which gives all the different characteristics to the different fixations on the Enneagram star there. No difference yes. than what have an idea and all of a sudden all these forces are put into play that give it the unique characteristics with a myriad of waveforms to create, you know, uh, everything we see in our experience in our bodies and, and uh, everything in universal creation. So um, yeah, the Enneagram is, is an amazing tool and uh, most amazing because there's a high degree of accuracy. I use it for years and years and uh, but it's also very mathematically sound, and I think it's very consistent with a lot of the principles that Walter Russell put forth. Oh, that makes me so excited to hear you say that. So I'm going to share some synchronicities that have been buzzing in the back of my head because I would be a fool to not bring them forward. So we've mentioned uh, uranium, neptunium, and I also the next in the progression is plutonium. And on the periodic table, and those are the three, six, and the nine. 
in the planetary correspondence to the Enneagram. So, uh, wonderful. If, if you do a Plutonian, if you thank you, if you do the planetary associations, Pluto is Plato, it's the plotter, it's the governor, it's the plow, it's the it's the most still, and it's the spirit of sloth. And so, its planetary correspondence is Pluto. Over here, the three, the achiever uh, and the deceiver, is Neptune. So I'm thinking of Neptunium. And then over here, the six is Uranus. And what's really, I until tonight, I had never even realized that the three, six, and the nine are neighbors to each other on the periodic table. And I'm kind of tripping because of this conversation we're talking about. Uh, this uh, the center point, the still point, the slothful one at the top. And so uh, it's just really resonating with my personal work that I'm doing right now, which is a whole derail from the conversation. But it's just really hitting home that the periodic elements that make up the 369 in their planetary relationships are already been discussed on this panel. Uh, and they're right next to each other on the periodic table. So I don't know what that means, but I thought I would just share it because it gets me really excited to hear this conversation rubbing up against uh, my own research uh, that I've been doing, which is more of a of the personality aspect of it. But it blows me away that it has periodic elemental harmonic resonance, so to say. I think what you're getting at here is that true physics isn't about the formula that gives you the right answer to a math problem. Physics is really more about the underlying structure that in a fractal sense, all other processes will imitate or in some way mirror, right? So the Enneagram, you know, that is an overlay that you can apply to anything natural or real or emergent and even artificially created. <laughs> it just keeps applying. You know, it's like the arithmetic physics that it underlies all things. And so and on Gabriel's I, chart there, you can see that he is like mapping it to the uh, the symposium of Plato and the philosophers that show up in that narrative. And it, it fits that, too. And then in uh, Walter's schematic, of course, you have the six sided cube that, uh, you know, creates the spherical forms. And you have the, the three X, Y, Z axis. And, you know, you, you just keep coming up with these the same numerical system no matter how you look at it. So, well, yeah, like Chance said, I've, I've mapped it onto many things. Uh, I'm doing Plato's Symposium. Next, I'm going to do the uh, 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 Paradise Lost with the, uh, the nine fallen angels. Uh, <laughs> and, the uh, you know, they're, when they come together and they have a, what's it called? The Pandemonium is the house of all demons. And I'm going to look at it from its shadow potentialities, nine potential shadows coming together to have a conversation. And I'm quite sure I'm going to find something worthwhile, at least. Um, but what is, cool. what is well, syncretism works because of universal mind. Exactly. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm finding out. That is what I'm finding out. So uh, so I've also charted out some of the signs and symbols and the codes and the signaling in the public in the public sphere. Um, and I've uh, essentially assigned uh, 
kind of the cream of the crop of each personality to a persona in uh, in the public, uh, you know, in politics. So Biden is slothful. He's the nine. He's Pluto. He's he's Hades. He's uh, he's at the edge of the underworld. You just sneeze on that guy. He's going over. He's going over. He's almost. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and, and so King Charles. One, one sniff away. One sniff away. Exactly. And that's another thing. Uh, Hades, Plato uh, or Pluto would uh, abduct children. And so even his persona and the whole thing about touching kids is uh, correspondent to uh, Pluto, the mythological character. So King Charles, in his official cipher, comes out with a 93, very obviously uh, gives him the Neptunian uh, correspondence. So he becomes a three. Uh, so we've got Biden is a nine. We got Pluto or uh, excuse me, Charles. King Charles is a three. The achiever with the deceit is his shadow. And then um, uh, the number six is um, a little bit tricky. I want to I think it might be uh, the Bush. What the Bush, one of the Bushes, I think Bush Jr. Uh, It'd be interesting, Gabriel, to see where Putin, Putin uh, comes <laughs> he's, in here. He's a seven. He's uh, Putin is a seven. He's well, uh, let, me, let me hold. Let me reel you in a little bit here, Gabriel. Yeah, yeah. And maybe just put forward sort of the idea that you're getting at in a <laughs> in my well, paraphrase phrasing of it. So that well, hold on. I, I want to say I want to say this. I think they're signaling these elements that make up nuclear nuclear physics is the thing they're wearing the mantle of nuclear physics is ultimately what I was getting at, but go ahead. While basically creating the, the, the fiction in the public mind of the threat of nuclear war. Yeah. And I, you know, what I get from your work, dude, is something that we might be able to ask, you know, these physicists we have with us about how it might apply that, you know, you're sort of postulating that in everybody's field of awareness or perception one of these qualities of a enneagram will become manifest like usually it's your family and friends but now we have this culture of celebrity and we have politicians which is you know hollywood for ugly people that there's a possibility of huge numbers of people a majority of people in the world to have one of these cast of nine personality types be a prominent figure in their consciousness, but from the box, the TV, the phone, but that if, you know, this is like a direct, this is a direct cable into somebody's psyche because those archetypes as they would express in a natural environment in your village, in your tribe, in your family are the reflection of your psyche. So if the hijacking of your attention, you know, the colonization of your imagination is filled up with all of these celebrity Enneagram pantheon, what effect does that have on the actual mind control of a human being? You know, if their Enneagram are the cast of a TV show or are the politicians or in like there, you can pick your arena, but they're going to be, there's multiple sets of them out there. So, you know, I think that your work is revealing something key about how this uh, entertainment based mind control might actually operate psychologically. You nailed it, man. Yep. They're counterfeiting uh, fundamental truths. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, I'm curious what, what what's our panel thing about that one? <laughs> That's a big one. Well, the black magicians know how the physics works. 
and they know that it's a mental universe. And if they can trick people into believing certain things and mentally creating those realities, um, then that will happen through, you know, the magic box in the living room. And that also, I believe, does connect into our personalities. So certain personalities um, relate to different things. So they're trying to encapsulate every type of personality. So some, you know, that get caught into drama, some that might be more into, I don't know, um, uh, spiritual bypass. Uh, So they're they're looking more towards the fake guru. Right. Um, where others may be looking more towards these athlete because they have a personality that is, um, you know, a sort of war, you know, warrior like just taking from the Enneagram. So that is interesting um, that uh, I like that where you're going with that, Gabriel. It is very interesting. Thank you. I, it just gets me every time when our conversations on Vibrant. They always tend to bring in, I think I'm way over in left field and somehow Wednesday comes around and I'm like, uh, walking, walking the path with a bright, bright and brilliant minds. <laughs> well, that's what, uh, Walter Russell, I think did for me is it allowed me to understand, uh, at a clear level, you know, fundamental principles. And once you start wrapping your mind around some of these things, then it's a lot easier to connect the dots just like you're doing and really see the coherence between all the different teachings for all time. And the fact that they're all pretty much saying a very similar thing. Uh, in from my perspective though, it's, uh, useless unless it grows corn. That's just kind of where I come from. And, um, so I like to take these principles and really try to apply them in order to create and, you know, provide solutions. And I think they will. Uh, we've already demonstrated uh, a lot of practical application with these principles. And uh, I think we're just, well, not think, I know we're just barely scratching the surface. Very well Matt, said. Matt, you had a cool box up there, but hey, uh, <laughs> uh, bear, bear, corn, corn corn's corn. just an illusion, man. <laughs> <laughs> But hey, that's why we're here, right? That's why um, we had that there is the sex principle of creation, so that we can actually experience and know know thyself. Um, otherwise, it's the uh, the creator, the omnipotent, omnipresent uh, creator uh, that is all. Um, probably uh, that's the thing that always trips me out. You know, when you know all, there's nothing else to do. So you got to um, create the create the um the uh have the trinity with the father son and the holy spirit so that you can have that diversion so you can have actual experience so that you can have it, it, some sort of reality <laughs> otherwise it's just stillness and yeah and this is why the second person or the redeemer figure is the logos which is also the word in my opinion like what i've been coming to realize lately and i'm curious how maybe Russellian physics might inform us about cosmological questions like astrology, like uh, a firmament, which I got a strong sense of a firmament when I was reading the Russell stuff that I read today, his own words. Uh, but before we go there, I'll just say like, you know, where my mind is at with this lately is back to this logos, you know, apparently Trinity is in the ether today. <laughs> People are talking about it. There's uh, some big debate with some comedian and a cartoonist, but it was horrible. 
<laughs> that, the same cartoonist that's that railed railed us uh bear so yeah that guy but uh, uh big bear did all right i, I was rooting was, for him and the other one was uh, yeah okay i know there <laughs> but so what I see happening maybe in the world is that when we look at the stars, the technology that is astrology and remembering that the word technology didn't used to mean consumer electronics or machines. It meant a descriptor, a description on the terms of art, a treaties or a simpler term. Technology means jargon. So, in you know, to have a technology, that means we have a language and whenever we look at the stars, we look at astronomy, astrotheology, it seems to imply that there was some point in human development where we had a more direct and innate concept or connection to our all-knowing state, which is the natural state of the life force energy within us being not separate from any other aspect of universal mind. So you have this direct connection in the as above because you can see the whole as above at once. <laughs> so it literally has all the, it has the all knowing aspect of yourself right there. It's your direct line to it. And so what I'm getting at is that like this created world and all the words we use to describe the world and understand our place within it can constitute like a body of knowledge that becomes a mirror that the creator, the universal mind can sort of explore the width, depth, and breadth of its own self and its own knowing. Uh, does that make sense? I got, and then, I, I got a great quote to be, from Walter to bounce right off that. Um, right off the whole logos word in the beginning, there was the word which could actually be uh, where we're at right now. But Walter would say, when we stop thinking in words and start thinking in light, well, this is not a direct quote, but start thinking in light. We will be one with God. And so maybe back in the day, that is how, because, you know, when you think you conceptualize in words, right, in your language. But imagine actually the art that Walter did, right? The sculptures and the painting, that is light. That is, that's what he's getting at. That is the next evolution, if you will, or what we used to do in terms of being closer to God. Um Anyways, I, I read that today. I think that's in the secret of light. And that was really interesting. We described it in the letter I was reading today, which is what you're saying is he's capturing an idea into a body with his art. And it's not the to do list of the process or the description on how he made it that got him there. It was literally the conception in his mind, the, it, the lighting up in his mind of the form that he was going to embody. That's correct. Can I show you guys a quick model? You, you, you just mentioned um, length, width, and height, and the mirror universe. I'm going to show you this real quick. This is a mirror cube. Our friend Ben Palmer in Berlin made these. But basically what you're seeing is six mirrors inside of a cube, and all these mirrors are two-dimensional, meaning flat. They're flat. But what you see is a curved radial universe where there is actually, there's no extension in that box. Those are just LEDs in, in seven corners. And it goes on infinitely and curves. But that's the whole motion picture universe of light. 
And the six mirrors are the planes of a cube, which surround every living being. So there's a cube around every living being, which can be symbolized by this little model here. So you have right angles. So the creator is the white light, which is on the still planes of zero curvature, absolute cold and zero curvature. And there's basically what Walter, his whole model is that cubes and spheres are the sole working tools of creation. And as many cubes as it takes. Okay. So each of these zones can be divided into infinite cubes and the smallest particles of matter or waveforms are all part and parcel of this subdivided cube that is one large cube for the whole universe and then subdivided cubes within cubes within cubes that don't move, but all motion moves within the cube. So that's basically the whole model is it's a cube and sphere universe. And those are the soul working tools. The cube is the sphere compressed and the sphere is the cube expanded. And so that's, that's basically the process of life. And all living things breathe minerals, plants, animals, planets, suns, moons, stars. They all have doubly charged hemispheres and they all breathe in and they breathe out at their equators. So it's, it's really a seamless cosmology, which I think once more scientific evidence is offered will replace the existing model and it'll be much closer to the actual way that nature operates and great benefits will come from it. And as Walter says, um, a nine-year-old can understand these principles uh, so much easier than what a lot of us had to endure in school. And the cold of the cube um, allows the uh, freezing of the incandescent centripetal winding uh, into spheres, which generates heat, and then, then it just goes in the reverse direction. So you have the compression radiation cycles, as Matt showed there. So, you know, it just is, is all so, um, so elegant when you see how it works. Yeah, the zero zero curvature of space and the, the absolute cold is what freezes spheres into their solid forms. And that's right. what holds them together. That's why the gases, excepting the three octaves of space gases, do escape. But anything hydrogen and above is frozen. And that's why we can detect it. That's why we thought that was the very first element, which it's not. So when you understand the three octaves of space gases as being the occluded gases that can leave out of its containment and fill the, there's no void in space. It's full of these space gases and inert gases. And those are the things that account for the wave motions of light. And they are breathe, breathed in through the poles and exhaled by the equator. And that would explain how you could uh, have a uh, quote unquote vacuum, which isn't a vacuum next to an atmosphere, because that's one of that's the things correct. that oftentimes uh, my fellow uh, friends of the flat earth mentality um, point out that 
um, the way the scientism, you know, doesn't have an explanation for that with their actual model of gravity and the vacuum. Also with Walter, he explains that this is a finite universe, a closed system, um, which makes sense for how nature works actually. And, but that everything because is in curves, it comes back to itself. So, cause I always think, well, where's the edge, you know, where's the, where, uh, what was those famous sci-fi books, you know, where's the coffee shop at the end of the edge of the universe or whatever. Um, you know, where that our minds can't wrap around that. Right. And, and so, but when you understand just the pure physics of it, that everything comes back and, and that makes sense that it can be a closed, that cube is the closed system. Um, but however, the mind itself, um, the, the stillness, if correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, that is infinite or that is all being all knowing. So that is the sort of the infinite, but thinking itself has a finite ability based on the 18 dimensions. And Matt, can I lay something else on that before you respond and uh, maybe get Bear's response too? But when I was reading the Russell letter today to his friend regarding their loved one who had passed away, Claire Clemens. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll share that again. It's on our it's in our Telegram, but I'll make sure the link to that PDF gets shared again. And you know what I would say to that is, Mike, is that uh, the mind is the only thing that can wrap around the whole. <laughs> but you know what it seemed like Walter was explaining was how our connection to the sense aspect of the body is what like kind of snaps you back into not wrapping around the whole, and that literally just on the tip of our uh, perception is the gateway to the whole thing, you know, but we just keep like, we're back in this, we're back in this. And not that this is a prison or a cage, but that we can, you know, maybe the intellectual, the intellectual scaffolding of the concept of the universe that we've believed in up till now. And we still act like we believe in, even if we are starting to profess some alternate cosmologies, the, the concept itself the mental concept itself is the gate through which we'll either be blocked from having that expansive experience or slip into it like, you know, a comfy robe. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, like there's a bad, like there's a real bad side effect. I'm saying to this, all this uh, materialist physics per- potentially. Yeah. I think I understand where you're getting at. Um, Materialist physics is sense-based completely. In fact, they they are the ones that, you know, through Cartesian dualism, thanks to Descartes, basically separated mind and body into two different realms and introduced to science the hard problem of consciousness. So this is, you know, Descartes was the father of of machine-minded thinking, that the universe must be a machine that we can take apart, much like we take a telescope apart and put it back together again. Um, so I think he, he introduced that concept of the mechanistic view of the universe, which created the hard problem of consciousness, because if the universe is the machine, then consciousness, and once we take that machine apart and consciousness really doesn't have anything to do with it, then we get this hard problem. But what Russell does is he puts God, the creator back into this wave mechanical universe and completes the picture, you know, and he, he offers multiple examples throughout his work. You know, the poem is not the poet. The painter is not 
The painting is not the painter. The symphony is not the conductor. It's a representative body of his imaginings, you know, and that's the process of creation. You have to build a body to simulate your mind. You, you don't find chance in his podcast. He's not there. It's a representative body called a MP4 that is uploaded to YouTube. But nowhere in that MP4 do you find chance or Gabriel or Mike or Dr. Barry or Matt. It's a, it's just a representative body of a mind imagining that was captured for a moment, but we're not actually in it. We're our image is there, but we're not there when other people are going to watch us two or three or four days later, or even weeks or months later. So just like Mozart isn't in the notes of his own symphony and neither is, uh, um, neither is uh, neither is a great artist in the drops of paint on the canvas. So really, that's we got into this in a previous podcast. Chance that that's natural simulation versus you know AI, which is artificial uh, simulation, which is ones and zeros or or digital you know, um, representation as a model which doesn't really jive because again, it removes the mind and relies more on determinism. So yeah, it's a mind wave universe. Mind is causal. It's omniscient. It's omnipresent and omnipotent. And all motion is at right. All mind, excuse me, is at right angles to all motion. Again, I'll just throw this model up, but you know, every right angle is, you know, here's the right angle here in us. That's the source of power that makes the two hemispheres. What am I moving on? I'm moving on a fulcrum that doesn't move. Just like I can take a door and open it and close it. Something on that door is not moving. It's called the door jam, right? Everything that moves in this universe must move on something that is immovable, that does not move. But everybody only notices the motion. They don't notice the stillness upon which it all moves. And that's a key right there to understanding the universal dynamics of, of this light wave universe that we live in and how mind is its cause and motion is its effect. You know, you know in the martial, martial arts that arts I, do, I do, the name of the game is to steal the other person's pivot. When they, when they go up in their hand on a hand, a handstand, you try to sweep the, you try to sweep the wrist when they go in a, when they, during the uh, spin kick, you try to sweep their foot. So you're always tracking the other person's, uh, uh, their pivot point, their center. And even, even when they do head spins, <laughs> that's when shit gets real fun. <laughs> also, you know, uh, I wanted to point out that, you know, a three by three magic square is the magical square of Saturn, which is supposed to be, you know, limitation. And I've always boggled at the idea that there's no such thing as a two by two magical square. So we're at this limit of the two dimensional plane of paper. When we get to the three by three, you can't make a two by two magical square. Uh, but maybe this cube that you're bringing forward is where it brings it to the next level. Uh, just a thought that, uh, you know, because it's the two by two cube that you brought forward. And when you put it at a canter, you can see uh, 
more dimensions uh, beyond it. Maybe that's the key to uh, a two by two by two magical cube. <laughs> We're all vibing I would, out. I would love to um, get Matt's thoughts uh, in particular on inert gases. You know, we I think all of us here know what Walter said about them being the Akashic records and the, you know, that magnetic still point, you know, uh, as a portal to each octave. But I'm, uh, for some reason, that to me has great import. And I spend a lot of time uh, in my work as far as using those inert gases. And I do a lot of uh, experimentation and measuring and, and um, you know, before and after when certain products in the lab are exposed to different inert gases, you know, I have different uh, devices that are compressed gases, you know, in the presence of an internal magnet and you have a nice radius of about 30 feet. And I think there's some significance there with some of the things I'm finding and the changes it makes as far as end products. And uh, in your research circles, uh, Matt, are people doing any similar kind of work? Because I'd sure like to get together with some folks and pick their brains. Yeah, Walter said of the inert gases that volumes could be written on them. Unfortunately, he never wrote those volumes. But I can tell you that the inert gas is closest to the plane of a cube Mm -hmm. and all the inert gases literally are on the plane of a cube are very close to it and the plane of the cube is is of course and the magnet demonstration i showed the the still magnetic light which is the block wall so the block wall whenever you see a block wall in a magnet thank god that's what you're seeing and that block wall is the white still white magnetic light which is the undivided one condition of universal mind when that mind shines with the intent to create which is what the the creator's thinking is what we call nature so when that light shines it shines through the inert gases which are also known as the akashic record or the akashic substance so that's a huge tie together something walter did not put forth i don't think he was familiar with the term that's something that came about later but the Akashic records are, are the Akashic substance, a.k.a. is the inert gases. And they mm-hmm. literally record all the motions of light and reflect that motion memory into all the various kinds of matter. And so it's, it's something that I think is going to take, you know, I used to put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, I know Dr. Russell had an illumination exactly 10 years after his massive illumination in 1921. And he said, God, why are, why is science rejecting my work? He was kind of arguing with God in this 10 page account of this illumination. And God basically scolds him and says, look, you're but the heralder of the first 50 years of a message that's going to take mankind 3000 years to understand. And so when I read this, because I was, you know, seven years at the university, I'm thinking, man, I've got to get the whole world on on this page called Walter Russell because we don't we're running out of time. But then I read this and I'm like, suddenly all that pressure lifted off. I'm like, man, I've got, you know, I've got another twenty nine hundred years 
so I don't have to worry about getting this all out. But I did still did what I could to get it out. But yeah, it's going to take a lot of more brilliant minds than than what my mind can do to really get into understanding the inert gases and and the role they play. But it's sort of like the inert gases could be likened to being the film in a projector. If you think of the old movie theater, you know, the, the 70 millimeter film. And it's interesting because there's a black gap between each photo. Okay. So 30 frames per second in the digital world or 60 frames per second in the digital world also has a black gap between each of those 60 frames. And why is there a black gap? Why is there space between notes? Because if light didn't have that break and music didn't have the silence between the notes, it would not, there'd be no shadow. And and as Leo would say, light without shadow in nature would be a calamity. Could you just imagine light all the time? Or could you imagine just one long note that never ends? It's because there's silence and stillness between the frame rate of reality that we're able to make sense of it. And so the the inert gases are those still points that are on the cube plane, and they are the the lenses, basically, that light, that white light shines through to create the multitudinous forms that we see in nature. And it will take a long time to figure it out. And, and, uh, you know, that's where we got to employ some wiser minds that can really get into this and study this and, and break this can of worms open in the next few hundred years. Wow. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> with the, I've never thought of that with the, the break on the film strip of the black or between the notes and how that is uh, how we digest it. Um, Bear, you have some pretty cool uh, devices over there with the inert gases. I don't know if they're handy, but um, kind of trippy stuff when you're dealing with neon or argon or krypton. Uh, putting them under your bed and having weird dreams with them, tapping into other sort of reality, you know, other, I, I don't know, there's some cool stuff you can do with them. Um, so I think we're on some cutting edge science with playing with these. Oh, ab- absolutely. I, I, I firmly, I just out of a hunch that uh, it's the key to everything. I was going to say to the stratification of the compression cycle also, uh, you know, see if you agree with me, Matt creates those frame by frames to give the, you know, the perception of time and everything that we need to function in this simulation or whatever, you, however you want to think of it. Um, you know, back, uh, got at least 40 years ago or so, I hooked up with an electrical engineer who had created these initial devices of compressed gases. And since then, we've done a lot of experimentation and found just uh, symptomatic correlations. And I don't know how to, uh, these are the things I'm trying to jive with the mechanics, the the waveform mechanics. But for instance, you can take helium. It's very good for, uh, you know, different uh, orthopedic conditions, uh, neon, you know, for abdominal afflictions and digestion, uh, xenon and argon. Uh, are uh, really helpful for changing aberrant thought forms. And uh, through a lot of years of experimentation, it seems to have some universal application. Again, I don't know how to jive those two things. Uh, what I do in my lab now is um, 
Well, I have to combine a lot of more qualitative testing, you know, biogeometry and so forth, and set up my uh, lab equipment so that, uh, you know, I'll link different um, inert gas devices in between and then take measurements before or after and then, you know, decide how I want to set up, the, you know, kind of more the, the close kinematic chain that incorporates the noble gases. And uh, you can set up the same operation and then interject different noble gases and it has a different outcome. And those are the things that I'm just trying to see if I can get any predictable outcomes, you know, to a point where, uh, you know, it becomes more of a science. Uh, that, that That's why I was asking you, Matt, if you know anyone else doing similar experimentation. I think the alchemy lab is really an ideal place to do things because not only are you mimicking uh, you know, the larger process within nature, but you can contrive them in any way you want. And then you also speed up the process so you don't have to wait 10,000 years to see what happens. Yeah, I think alchemy is the original chemistry. So pr- prior to actual chemistry coming online, you know, you had the more mercurial <laughs> uh, experimenters and things like that. But Really, it's it's Falconelli who's one of the great master alchemists who said the point of alchemy isn't the the transmutation of metals, but rather that of the experimenter himself, which only a few every every century actually are able to achieve, unfortunately. But that was a, a very profound statement for me because I used to look at alchemy as more of a chemical process, but the whole point of the exercise really is to, to unify your own opposites. And when you become holistic in your thinking, suddenly you don't really need to experiment anymore. You can know the outcome of an experiment by communicating with the divine mind that is within all of us, you know, and that's, that's really what Walter was trying to get at is that, you know, his, his understanding of the elements was, something that he didn't say was unique to him, but could be all of ours for the asking. All we have to do is ask and genuinely write it on your heart, thinking in waves of light as opposed to words. But yeah, Dr. Barry, it's going to be a long time before people are really able to figure this out. But, you know, do I know of anyone else that's really doing this? I could say some of the work in the lab on our end, slightly, but we're more into different endeavors at the current moment, which I'm not at liberty to discuss, unfortunately, but at some point will be. Um, I think uh, the inert gases, when they're truly understood as being the projection projection system of the one light of mind, um, basically helium is the seed of the the octave of Earth. Because anything you electrify, and you can prove this experimentally in the laboratory, take any element on this earth and put it in a vacuum tube and electrify it with enough voltage and it will revert back to helium, which is the inert gas seed of this octave, which is the fourth octave, which is where the earth is in terms of its, its, and, and this is in terms of planets are born from the sun Mercury and Venus are the little brother and sister of the Earth. Uh, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Mars, and, and so on, are the older brothers and sisters of the Earth. Actually, all planets are doubly charged, so they're male and female. Like the Earth has a molten red core, which is male, surrounded by a cool blue ocean. 
which contains it, keeps it from exploding, and then so on with the atmosphere and, and whatnot. But, um, yeah, understanding the inert gases, the master tones, the, the noble gases, great word for them. Um, if you could project a certain electrical voltage or potential and induce that inert gas to create, say, if you, if you truly understood the electrical signature of gold, you could take helium and create as much gold as you could possibly want. So that is very possible. But I mean, it's just a matter of the right gyroscopic pressure condition. You have to create a pressure condition. And I'm not sure how that would be achieved other than you'd have to create some kind of a, you know, a box, a chamber or something like that, or some kind of a, yeah, I'm just not sure how that would happen. But I think it's along those lines, the electric potential of the inert gas can be altered to form any element if you use helium. Now, if you're out where Saturn is, it's going to be one of the, you know, perhaps xenon or, or one of the later inert gases, which centers that octave. So all the planets are in the respective octaves and the older they get, the more rings they throw off. Just like plutonium is Pluto throws off 92 rings. Pluto's already expired. And it will eventually become a comet that leaves its orbit and plunges back into the sun, impregnating the sun, which will then give birth to rings, which wind up into more planets. And so all is seamless in this cosmology. It's fascinating. But yeah, to your question on the inert gases, we've, we've a long way to go yet. Let me make a quick observation on the inert gases, just that, you know, first of all, with helium, NASA being like the highest consumer of helium. <laughs> and then we, we see the fiasco with the uh, Chinese balloon that in my opinion is clearly just a satellite that they put on balloons. And, you know, I don't think that there's really satellites up there. I think they're on balloons generally. And that's why we get this lie. But my point being that these noble gases, we see helium being used for Satellites, which are communications based, projecting information across the realm. And then you have the same thing with the other ne uh, neon, argon, krypton, things like that are actually used for illuminating neon signs. And so as an uh, um, idea that these gases are related to the Akashic, that because they don't react with other elements and they're stable and they stay the same, that they're containing some sort of record of information. Uh, or link to octaves of the the qualities of the universal mind. It's fascinating how they are used in the modern world to spread messages from mind to mind, whether in the way that they're uh, applied with satellites or neon signs. You follow that? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, when Walter had his healing moment at the age of 14, his second major illumination, he died of black diphtheria. He was pronounced dead by two doctors and he wrote a book called the healing principle, um, which was a little booklet. And in it, he describes how upon his death, he was given knowledge of how to heal himself. And basically what he did was project a previous image of himself being healthy through his inert gases and his body instantaneously the black diphtheria was he said his throat was as black as a case knife 
you know, as black as the black handle on a knife for, for cutting. But after he projected and came back to life, he, he projected and then came back to life a previous version of his healthy self and the black diphtheria was completely gone. And so his parents were stunned. The two doctors that pronounced him dead who were there were stunned. And they terrified him so greatly that he ended up being sick and had to relearn how to walk and, you know, all this over a period of six months, he said. But he was it was a miraculous healing. I have no reason to doubt that story. But what it tells me is that we are projections, more or less. And if we can understand how to heal, healing, the major key to healing and medicine is not going to be found in a substance, but in one of the noble gases. And if we can project that record of ourselves as healthy, not only could we heal bone that's broken by projecting a previous unbroken version of ourselves, for instance, and maybe on some psychic level, when we get to the root of of psychic illness or psychological or you know, that kind of damage, maybe we are actually healing to the point where we're becoming whole again instead of broken or compartmentalized, you know, like they do with a lot of the MK Ultra things. And But I think, you know, something along the lines of the inert gases will provide great healing knowledge to us when we fully understand them. Well, that's, just that's where the issue of... Uh, go ahead, Chance. I was just going to say, I do that in tuning. I take somebody to their older self, their younger self, actually, whatever the root time was where they got the condition, like say the skin condition I alluded to earlier. And I have them see that version of themselves in, in love and acceptance and healthy. And then that's like projecting the image that you're talking about because the image they've been carrying around with them and not realizing it is the whatever derangement had befallen them in whatever time period the, issue in their energy field was uh, originating. So the image is really important, your self-image, but it applies to previous versions of yourself too, not just the current self. Well, since we're suggesting that everything is a mental construct, that would make perfect sense. And that's also where we found argon and xenon most useful because it seemed like over the years, it really helped people transmute uh, thought forms that were, you know, at the, the basis of their, their physical ailments. Um, there's also an interesting thing our friend George Wiseman is doing, who of course, uh, created the, uh, the Brown's gas machine that Mike and I both use. And, um, he found that the, and, and this, uh, follows some alchemical principles too. If you look at water as the first fixed element, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's in this, uh, chain of, uh, starting with, uh, hydrogen and then nitrogen. There's a fermentation process between the two that then, uh, goes down into the water element. And the water element, what a lot of us are finding out now is a very special substance. And it's, uh, it's, uh, transmitting utility. We, you know, you could say as far as thought forms in the matter. 
And uh, what he found is the electrode and his electrolysis process within that machine uh, having certain uh, metallic constituents and also finding that that Brown's gas is truly the fourth state of matter. It's a plasma state of water. And then that plasma state uh, recreates those exact metallic elements from the electrode in equal amount as the electrode. And, and they've uh, you know experimented with this a few times, but then they weigh the electrode. The electrode is not giving up any elements itself, but between those informational fields within the electrode itself in the plasma state of water, the plasma state of water is recreating those elements in equal amounts. So uh, does it matter what kind of uh, metal you're using in the electrode? It, 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 you know, I was talking to George about it, and it seems like it wouldn't matter. You could recreate any element with that process, how that engages with uh, inert gases and things. I have no idea, but uh, I think there's some something valuable going on there as well. Yeah, I think that might be one of the missing links in the Tartaria Antiquitec, as I've been researching. There's a lot of talk about mercury, uh, you know, in the uh, in the top, you know, spirotype structures and that are connecting through the ether or whatnot. But it could actually be more like uh, a helium or an argon or something. And then literally as they're playing these organs, they're adjusting the tonal the tones within the structure, within the archaeology or excuse me, in the architecture of the building and that is the transmutation of the individuals within the cathedral there. So maybe that is something researchers should look into more is the noble gases, uh, you know, involved with those, those ancient technology buildings. Silence. <laughs> We're in the white light guys. This is the still magnetic <laughs> point. <laughs> Vibrant. <laughs> I was just going to say this book I highly recommend uh, for Walter Russell as a great introduction. Uh, The Man Who Tapped the Secrets of the Universe. It's a really quick read. And uh, what a phenomenal life this gentleman had. I mean, he was a professional uh, ice skater, a a figure skater at a young age. I think he brought that to the United States, of all things. And then, of course, uh, he was uh, one of the most skilled sculpturers of of our time, especially in the United States. I think he's created one of the most uh, complex sculptures ever made. Uh, And then, of course, uh, he had sculpted multiple presidents. And that's the other thing for the conspiratorial minded. You know, Walter hung out in those in those channels with those people uh presidents and large ceos and industrialists and i think there's something to take to heart there that the duality of the realm uh means doesn't it it means that not everything is quote-unquote evil or good just because you're in a certain circle there are angels amongst all avenues of this creation and those uh, in even the highest escalon of society, there are people there that are tapped into the secret of the universe and into the universal one doing great things. And Walter was working with them as also, you know, you want to tap into St. Germain or these other kind of characters to the history that have been in the courts and doing these things. Um, I think it's important in this, this, this time of extreme cynicism because of all the hopium and everything that, um, you know, that people have fallen for that we still don't forget that. And that someone like Walter Russell was actually, you know, very much involved with, with those types of people. Um, Matt, I know you've mentioned that on our podcast before. Um, 
you know, currently with the the Walter Russell Foundation or, um, you know, everything that's going on with them, are there still individuals in the higher escalon of the United States society that are involved with Walter Russell that are doing great things or has it just completely eroded to the point of the clown show as we like to call it now? Well, they're still out there. You know, um, I'm happy to be involved with the group that's continuing research. Um, they're still out there. It's, you know, it, the problem is the great work. You have to be called to it. You know, you have to make the choice to be someone that works on yourself, you know, and that's why they call it the great work because it's probably one of the least attractive things. It, it, it means you have to define yourself. You have to go into yourself and go into every dark crevice of your being explore every part of yourself with the brightest light you can find. And often we find things we don't like. And so that's what makes it the great work. The hero's journey, the underworld is you, you know, what, what secrets do I hold that I don't want to deal with? What causes these destructive patterns that I have not recognized yet? You know, pattern recognition is one of the keys to, change. It's like, you know, going back to the inert gases and seeing yourself from the inside out as opposed from the outside in. And uh, that's hard for a lot of people. But those who, you know, have the courage to face that that path of self-discovery, they find, I think, at the end of the day that it's, it's a worthwhile thing, you know, and uh, a lot of people regret now I'm seeing others in my family, even that they listen to this government and listen to these so-called health experts. But I have not met one person who lost their job. And I know several, I know one guy lost his house, but I don't, I have not met anybody that lost their job or their home or had to change their life who regret having gone through that because they didn't take the shot. Everyone I've met who didn't take the shot is better off now when they look around this world and say, you know what? I made a hard choice. My life was at risk, but I chose me. And that's that's the kind of example I mean by the great self-work. How many people choose themselves over the world? The world is extremely loud. It's strong. It's full of sensory data overload and input. And the masters of the fake light or industrial light and magic, these, these Masonic handlers, whatever you want to call them, they're, they're very well versed with how to use light as a weapon, but they can only, they can only, they can only handle and maneuver the divided light. They don't have recognition of the light within themselves. And that's why evil always has to usurp other people's creations. It cannot create itself. All it does is hijack others' creations and then invert it. You know, that's all they got. So just remember that, folks. Even I was just posting an article uh, this morning on Greece, how they ruined Greece with this wokeism, right? So I, I made this post about how, what does it matter if how many things they ruin? We can just create all new and novel things. You know, we're the creators. We work with the light. And when you work with that light inside you, you're capable of anything. You can do anything. Um, and anything your imagination can muster, it can be built into a body. And 
Basically, that's crystallizing your thought into form, sharing it with others for the uplift of mankind. You know, that's what Tesla did by creating alternating current. Uh, he wanted wireless energy, but of course, um, he didn't get there because of uh, certain influences in the wire industry who didn't want to see their investments in wires go down the drain. Um, so, yeah, it's it's all possible. It's all within us, and we have all that power. We just have to tap into it. It's like a well inside of us. you know. But you have to do work. You got to pump that power out and use these two things you know, to create your body. This isn't going to create a body very well. I mean, maybe a video or something or a picture. Let me address that, Matt, because I talked earlier. I was like, okay, so we know the noble gases are used in satellites and neon signs. But then it occurred to me, they're in the screens. They're used in the black mirror scrying devices called phones and computer screens and TVs. So when you're talking about projecting the healthy and coherent image of self into the noble gases or through the noble gases, every day, millions and billions of people are looking at the projected not self image through noble gases. So there may be a clue to this sorcery of technology that we're, you know, we're using for good and we are all looking at our real self right now on, you know, like I've always thought that there was some kind of spiritual development that comes about when you start putting yourself out there in this way, uh, you know, having to publicly put your face and name to your words, but that millions of people are getting the not self image violence and degradation and horrible behavior and a fake world, <laughs> fake, fake news world through the noble gases projected on a mirror like screen so it's like the the not self in the noble gas i feel like there could be something there and maybe something that could be reverse engineered in a way of harnessing what we're discussing about the potential of these inert gases for you know returning to some sort of template of primordial wholeness and and, and just, just just thinking real quick too they invert stuff so they use uh in the superman movies kryptonite to counter the uberman right right so yes. that's um, that's super profound. You know what I'm thinking about um Tesla with his handheld light that was just a, a tube. I'm pretty sure those were noble gases in there. Well, that's the original lightsaber. And now you can you can take that and you can also uh refract it into the fact that these little phones are held held handheld light devices. That uh, like yeah. Chance was saying, it's like uh, it's like we are, uh, it's like we're fencing and sparring, you know, and sharpening each other's wit, uh, using this these noble gases in an interesting way right now. Bear, Bear did Royal Rife use uh, inert gases too with his technology? He used uh, radio tubes that had compressed gases in them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, offhand, I'm not sure exactly what gases. You know, uh, another thing to think about, um, you know, each of us in my work, uh, we called it the seed atom, which is actually the first cell that then differentiated into the heart, you know, embryologically. And that was uh, what we considered the Akashic of that particular individual through, uh, you know, the various incarnations. And as Walter explains how our bodies, our minds, and things are electrical recordings, not necessarily, you know, source. 
but these electrical recordings, um, you know, then being embedded into these seed atoms. And then, of course, the great work is just like in an alchemist lab is to take the pieces apart, purify them, and then reunify them into an elevated whole. And, uh, you know, that's really what the great work is about. Now, uh, if I go into my lab, it, it's cool. You make stuff and everything, but it's really, as Matt, you already mentioned, it's about resonating with that process and realizing as above, so below. And when you understand those principles, do the work and you are, you know, in that resonance and ex- especially when you're using instrumentation and things that require a continuity of your consciousness with what you're measuring rather than pretending that you're not in a room like conventional science. Um, you know, that is what creates that purification. And then, you know, as our soul's journey through those Akashic portals from reincarnation to reincarnation. Now, um, this is something that I've been very uh, consternating about for a long time with Walter's work. Uh, he does not believe in ascended masters. Uh, that's fine. And I think there's also um, different ways of maybe understanding what he was saying. Not, you know, I'd be the last one to try to put words in his mouth or anything, but um you know, the, the so-called ascension process and, uh, you know, if there were ascended masters and they have gone through that great work and that purification process, which I'm, I'm kind of without doubt that that's what we're going through. What, you know, what's the end result? Um, you know, that's one of, uh, you know, those fun little things I like to play with in, in my own consciousness. Um, so, you know, we're, we're engaging the great work in order to, uh, you know, purify ourselves. Where does it all go if there's not some ascension endpoint or something? Uh, Matt, what would you say about that? Well, I hearken back again to Falconelli. Um, he's considered one of the greatest alchemists ever to walk the earth. He was not liked by the royalty who, in fact, tried to hunt him down, but were unable to find him. Because he, he's, I would say the true ascension is done here on the surface. Um, the ascended masters walk this planet. They don't hover in the clouds, which is what made Dr. Russell say, well, why do people believe in an ascended master floating on the cloud? Wouldn't they get hit by an airplane? You know, so, <laughs> but. So he did you know, qualify in that way. Falconelli was an ascended master, but he walked the earth and he could hide. His technique was to hide among the poor to where you could not tell him apart from them. And that's where he preferred to hang out. And he would often give secrets away to people that were considered inferior by royalty. And they actually hunted the guy and they hunted him over lifetimes, according to some accounts of his you know, mastery. And he would give these secrets away to people who were not initiated and just to, just to screw with them, just to say, yeah, you, you know, I, I can walk among you and you'll never find me. But while I'm here, I'm going to share what I know with people and inspire them and teach them things that you would otherwise say are taboo or, or verboten. So there's those kinds of guys that come along. I'm sure there's some walking the planet right now. But they lay low on purpose because they don't want to get their heads cut off. But <laughs> I think you know, Falconelli, 
I think Falconelli was actually maybe the author who gave, I don't know if you've ever read the red lion, but gave um, a Maria Zeppis because it's, she's like a first time author who writes this masterpiece about uh, the alchemists over like four or 500 years. Shout out to Berlando who told me about this book and had cool. obsessed with it in many ways, but um uh, the whole it starts with a, a mysterious character meeting the author and basically giving them this story. I highly recommend it, Matt, if you're a fan of Fulcanelli, who um, who is was a was a, is a fantastic, interesting character, by the way, in the 20th century. Um, but yeah, Absolutely. that is very interesting. And his life goes back many centuries. And uh, yeah, so I think um, truly, I think. Again, with my dispelling dimensional madness, the work and all the things we have to do can all be done here. And we need to get our heads in this game because our world, as much as you you know want to escape it and get away from it, we have to deal with it because it's our reality. It's the one we all share. And in fact, anyone that tells you of a different dimension or a different level of consciousness or an ascended master, they have to do it from right here. So that proves to me that this is the one thing that we're, we've got to embrace it. And by embracing it, we're being practical spiritually. You know, this is where we do the work. Otherwise, we'd be somewhere else doing the work, talking about it from some, some other place. But we're not. Everybody that describes reality in any other place than here is doing that descriptive talking from this place. So let's get our heads in the game, folks, so we can we can win this. I do this one, one fun question. I know we're running out of time. Matt, did Walter ever talk about aliens? Yeah, he said it was the biggest hoax ever perpetrated on mankind. Right he on. Said, he said, now, he didn't say that there weren't inner terrestrials, okay? Just this idea of men from Venus that just happen to be wearing leather shoes and show up to uh, meet some truck driver in the middle of the Arizona desert. He just found that to be ludicrous. He's like, why wouldn't they just land at the White House? And, you know, but he said basically his his point was pressure conditions between the planets. If someone from Venus came to the Earth and stepped off that craft, if they didn't have that pressure condition met, they would explode. Because each planet is a different pressure condition. So that that's an interesting thing, just like every element has a different pressure condition. But yeah, it was an interesting comment. I'm not necessarily 100% sure I agree with that. But until I see proof otherwise, I'm going to have to start from there. You know, kind of like this idea of different dimensions. You got, I've got to see proof. Talking about it is, is not going to win me over, you know. And then there's mountains of uh, reason to believe that a lot of the alien stuff was engineered as a, like some kind of experiment or seeding the thought into people's minds you know, intentionally by intelligence agencies. And there's a definite trail of receipts on that. And it's a, a good cover for all the black space programs or whatever you want to call it. The, you know, experimenting with new technologies, things like that. Oh, it's UFO. We don't know what that was. You know, never mind. It took off from Area 51 or some other military base, you know. But it's a good cover, just like the reptilians in other dimensions are a good cover. How can we ever prosecute an interdimensional entity? How can we ever take it to court, jail it, execute it, and get our lives back? If it's, you know, if, if these ancients are right, 
why can't we physically apprehend and and uh, bring justice to these entities? How convenient, you know, that that all the royalty on this planet is doing all this evil stuff to us, but we can't do anything about it because the people causing it are in other dimensions. Give me a break. These people are humans. I'm with Arnold Schwarzenegger. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Uh, well, you guys want to maybe give some closing thoughts around the circle here and not to definitely not in a rush. I know we're all having a fun time here, but I want want to be respectful of time. So Gabriel, 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 you got any closing thoughts there, buddy? Slick dissident on YouTube. Yeah, man. Uh, well, you know, the Falconelli disappearing and blending in with the poor that absolutely has powerful resonance with uh, the mythology of uh, Brigitte. Brigitte is, uh, she is uh, the goddess of the Tuatha Dé Danann. Uh, she is, uh, I believe she's a bit of a blacksmith herself. Um, she's often depicted sooty from doing hard work in the kitchen. Uh, it is, uh, she's venerated on the uh, holiday of Imbolic. I just hear a lot of common threads there uh, with the master of alchemy and Brigid. Uh, so that that's just something that echoed in my mind. Um, and how do you spell that, Brigid? Uh, B R I D. No, excuse me. B R I G I D. Brigid. And there are many derivations of that spelling, but she has a, she has quite a fascinating uh, history to go into. And the fact that uh, she's uh, honored on Imbolic is a very symbolically uh, enticing little uh, rabbit hole. Uh, and she, she uh, every year for the past couple of years since I've learned about her, uh, she lines up with my, uh, I'm in Leo, uh, so Imbolic is down in Aquarius. So every year as my moon is filling up, uh, she's whispering in my ear. So she's uh, fresh on my mind this this time around. Um, uh, and I think, oh, the other thing I wanted to point out, you know, so t- just to speak on those receipts, the chance was uh, mentioning about, you know, the UFOs and the aliens being tomfoolery. Uh, uh, Carl Jung, I haven't read his writing about UFOs or aliens just yet. Uh, and I may or may not get into that. I got a long reading list, uh, but I'm starting to uh, put him on my uh, most wanted list of uh people who have probably fabricated a large amount of this collective Gnostic movement uh, that is uh, probably been, uh, I think, uh, fostered by and even um, uh, coddled by the CIA, you know, and the fact that the Dead Sea Scrolls came out pretty much right hand in hand with the CIA uh, coming into their formal formation that they are today. The translations uh, of them are from the United Nations uh, right. organization run by the UN is where you yes. get your Dead Sea Scroll translations. It's super sketchy. Anyway, I, I've gone into yeah. that. There's a no, lot I, more there. There, Totally. Yeah. I just wanted to kind of put some of those receipts in context that, you know, Carl Jung might have been seeding some of this uh, fantastical tomfoolery all along. Uh, you know, I, I think of the CIA as like the CIA is to the Dead Sea Scrolls what the Jesuits were to the uh, uh, King James Bible. So, uh, 
just putting all that uh, on the table because those were in my mind as we were going. And then uh, last but not least, I'll just say that uh, I'm starting to really, really love philosophy in a major way in terms of like edifying yourself against all of the moral relativity that is uh, washing over the masses. Uh, I'm, I'm really uh, excited to be amongst uh, these uh, wonderful minds here tonight. And uh, I just want people also to maybe reach out and, you know, pick your favorite philosopher and start picking them apart and see what sticks and move on to the next one, you know, uh, go from the cynics to the skeptics and work your way to the nihilists, but do so tread with care. Uh, Cause there's, there's a lot on offer there, you know, it's really broadened my horizon. So. Some would uh, say that uh, no nihilist is a philosopher. <laughs> Good one. I, I I can't agree more with that. I think it's philo- the philosophers that we're all a philosopher, and that's what makes us human. That's what makes us different than animals. Our ability to ontologically question reality, right, and and who we are and what we are. And I think it's same here, uh, Gabe. I am infatuated with philosophy. In fact, we have a modern day philosopher tomorrow on AlphaCast. Little plug: Jason Reza Giorgiani. Um, huge. Yeah, he's on AlphaCast tomorrow. So um, one of my favorite contemporary philosophers uh, will be going deep into Prometheism and uh, the singularity and uh, all sorts of fun stuff. So uh, this has been such a pleasure being on here today. You guys are so awesome. Um, I'll just say how I started the the show. I'll reiterate the importance of Walter Russell right now. as we're talking, as Matt's mentioning, he doesn't know who's going to be, you know, besides what they're doing over there at the Walter Russell Foundation, what Alpha Vedic's doing, uh, who else is going to step up? Well, you all listening, especially I know this is a younger audience, if you're looking for something uh, entrepreneurial wise to get into, start looking into this science. There's a lot of money that can be made. There's a lot of amazing new technology that can be developed. Uh, you can always reach out to Matt or Derek Collum, uh, and those guys are very approachable. And just imagine all that we can create on our little homestead farms for new energy models and all sorts of new self-sustainable stuff. I mean, this is what Alphavetic's all about. Literally, I'm wearing, like, our branding is all Walter Russell stuff. Like, I mean, I'm wearing an Electric Universe hat, uh, you know? So we're, we are a living model of embracing Walter for commerce, and it's been working for us for um, quite some time now. Uh, I think this sweatshirt, what bear is like five, six years old now. So um, that, I just wanted to leave that with you guys. So like being, if you're inspired by this, there's ways to practically apply this to your life and actually start making a difference right now. Philosophy is only empowering and impactful when we apply it to our daily lives. Well said. All right, well, let's kick it over to Matt and then Dr. Orlando, and we'll finish up here. But yeah, what you said there, fantastic, Mike. And I want that sweater. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Well, guys, I appreciate it. It's an honor to join you. I'm going to leave you all with a poem I wrote. It's called I Am Existence. From before my eyes, the glory of my heart shines. That which I am is the soul of man, the being of mine form. Knows the hot sun, the cold morn. My thoughts sway from night to day and recur. 
my soul cries to dream alive. Come to life that I may command my forms. The endless light is eternal sight. I have been born. Glorious day, hands that work the clay and shape. Man, the idea as creator, maker of beauty or death. I've no rest when mine eye is single. I have all eternity to mingle. Buried in the ground, body no more sounds. Rest is mine. I have become the ageless, the timeless behind creation. Imagination of the limitless. I apprehend these visions. Though I try, my mind desire overrides the wish to remain silent. I will not go quietly into that night. No, brother, not this time. The air is lined with the calms and storms of thinking brains. Thoughts without time, unborn bodies forever blind. Build with thy hand the form of idea. Standing without, the within is released to exist. Seeds sprout and the inspiration repeats. Passed through soul to soul, eye to eye, ear to ear, and tears to shed. The glorious day again unfolds. The path hath come alive, laid bare. My choice to walk, it is clear, here, there, and by. I write your words as you'd have me say. I am pen, song, and clay. Mind made me this way. The den of fiery stars are born inside mine eye. I see all without time. The world comes and goes like the firefly. Man the great unknown, the vastness of his life. Brighten the day, darken the night. I am earth, I am water, I am fire, I am wind, I am the eternal without and within. Conscious mind without time, my body spins around my mind. Creator, creation, sublime. To the mind who knows all things are possible, he who canst display the rhythms of his soul Shows the whole world what he knows. Take the clay I made and shape your world as you may. I give you the whole earth. What shall you make today? Thank you, gentlemen. Amazing good stuff. And uh, also really got to say big thanks to uh, Dr. Lando for hanging out with us tonight. It's a real pleasure to get to interact with you on screen. And, you know, the chatters have just been raving about how great, <laughs> how great you look. Apparently the ladies really like that. <laughs> Getting a lot of hand comments about how devilishly handsome you are. So, you know, thanks for. I spend a lot of time in screens. makeup before I do these. You what? I spend a lot of time in makeup before I make these appearances. <laughs> well, uh, do you want well, any drop any uh, words of. Finding final thoughts. I mean, well, Matt's poem kind of really summed it up. My thoughts are just inspired by Matt's poem. Um, I am, I think, are the two uh, most significant words in our language. And it's the ultimate scientific statement. It's the declaration, uh, your declaration of independence, we'll say, at your coordinate in consciousness within universal consciousness and it also connotes that without limitation we have the the will 
and the ability to manifest with our thought anything that we like. And, um, you know, I've uh, been a longtime student even before I became a student of Walter Russell and the original I Am teachings, not the kind of New Agey Ascended Master teachings, but the originals. And when you really get into that whole stream of thought that goes back centuries that finally evolved through the theosophical, anthroposophical, and then to the whole I Am movement in more contemporary times, it's really the ultimate physics. And I don't see any incongruity between what Walter Russell taught and the I Am teachings, because it's all about that manifestation through the awareness of I Am and your ability to co-create through your very thoughts. And the one thing I wrap it back to Walter Russell that I really resonate with him from the start is it is very grounded. And um, philosophy, of course, is uh, half the equation, a very important half the equation of science, because without philosophy, science cannot exist. There'd be no direction. There'd be no purpose. And in the practice of medicine, which is I, what I did for years, um, you can really see the contrast between conventional medicine, which is just mechanical parts, recipes, and without any, any consideration with, you know, the progenitor thoughts that created what we're trying to heal in the first place. And, uh, that whole philosophical end of things, which were, what the early alchemists engaged themselves with is all important. And um, that's where chemistry took over and usurped alchemy and just presented itself as a linear type chemical process versus a complete quantitative, qualitative sciences guided by philosophy and in the uh, healing arts when you start engaging on both halves of the equation magic happens and you fulfill the true purpose of what the word physician means which is to teach uh you know because nobody can heal another person all you can do is plant seeds and it's up to you know your the folks that you're trying to support to uh, take it or leave it and to, you know, declare their I am. And that's uh, basically what I want to sum it up with. Uh, that is great wisdom. Yeah. Uh, teaching. <laughs> we have this technology of the other so that we can see the things that we're hiding from ourselves. The physical manifest form of reality being a mirror so that we can know the infinite which the fun part about that is it goes on. So uh, we'll see you guys next time and check out Alpha Vedic's Jason Reza Giorgiani stream. I know I'm going to, that's going to be great. Heard the yeah. guys we're on, on YouTube. We're not on YouTube, by the way, we're in YouTube timeout for being naughty last week with Sean. Dare you. So um, we said that we the said danger, words, the trigger words, which I won't say right now um, <laughs> because we're on loose tube. <laughs> but um, we, we will we will be on unite.live, which is a wonderful alternative platform that Sayer G has launched from Green Med Info. And then we'll also be streaming on Odyssey and most likely streaming on Instagram too, um, in, uh, Instacrime. 
So uh, uh, we got to be on one normie on. platform, and we'll be on we'll be on D Live. No one goes on D Live anymore, <laughs> but Unite is going to be the spot or Odyssey probably. So join us there. We need to get on Rumble. Yeah, we I can stream to Rumble too. We have that capability. What, we used to what do about it. Rockfin? Rockfin's pretty awesome. They got a good group over there right now. On there. Yeah, we could do Rockfin too. I mean, we're going to be launching our own platform very shortly here. But yeah, oh, uh, I, I've talked to the Rockfin cats a bunch. And um, so, anyways, but tomorrow, Unite, Unite's kind of our Rockfin. Like uh, Alex Zex on there, um, uh, a bunch of big, like, it's more like geared towards alternative health, which has been some of our, you know, a lot of our background. So, anyways, Sayer's been a huge, huge cheerleader for us and has been very supportive of us. So, we're supporting him. And what he's doing over there. So, guys, if you haven't checked out Unite.Live, go check it out. Uh, it's a really cool platform. And uh, he's all about freedom and, and you know, getting off the beast system. So, uh, love him. And uh, we really look forward to that. And support Matt and everything he's doing. We'll have Matt on AlphaCast, uh, I think, next month. And one of my favorite podcasts, Interverse. You guys are always bringing it, man. I uh, feel like you guys are family, uh, Gabe and uh, Gordy, who is in chat, and uh, Garza, and all you guys. I love your shows, man. You guys are really doing a great service to humanity with um, with what you're bringing to light. Thank you. I do love this community. And if you guys want to jump in our Telegram chat, I just dropped a link to it here. It is t.me slash interverse podcast chat. And we have an awesome group there. Nobody pushy nobody combative it's just like a well-maintained garden of mind so i'd love to see you guys join us and then um i'll make a little announcement and then we'll quit we'll uh, wrap it up watch out for tinfoil hat podcast uh i'm on there tomorrow and wow. it's supposed to release tomorrow and there's a really great part at the beginning where i get to call out toe rogan for his shilling during the uh, <laughs> Farmageddon we just went through. So I was like really happy about that. So, uh, you know, just for at least that catch it, but I got into a pretty great flow state as much as I could. And yeah, I would love for hey, you guys congrats to that. on that, man. That's a big podcast. Uh, I look forward to watching that. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. yeah uh, much love you guys though. I'd love to have this round table again and come back with, a topic I would even make slides, you know, so we'll all be in I touch. Have, I have one question for Matt real quick on the way out, Matt, and that Baron sure. book hasn't read it yet. Have you ever heard of uh Harold Waldwin Percival's Thinking and Destiny? I've got it. Two volumes. Okay. The original two volumes, yes. Beautiful. Because yeah, yeah, I feel like his sort of um I, I see this as almost like the law compendium, the spiritual compendium to Walter's physics in a way. Mm-hmm. So um there's a lot of concurrent sort of cosmology and ontological perspective here. And I'm just, I was trying to find if they ever met each other and I can't find them anywhere because they're around the same time and in the same circles. And they seem to be really parallel in their thinking. So Both from New York. Yeah. Th- to my knowledge, they didn't, but um, basically what, what I would say of HW Percival is he is taken a very long route to say what Walter said in a very condensed way. But he spent some 30 years writing Thinking and Destiny. He was also president of the Theosophical Society for about 20 of those years, if I'm right, but left it due to, you know, it's, I think they went a different direction than he really wanted to go. But he's coined the phrase, the point of 
Well, his illumination was five seconds. He stepped off a curb in New York City. And he said it was at that moment that he became, and I love this phrase, conscious of consciousness. And that really is what illumination is when you become conscious of consciousness. And just to leave your listeners with one last quick little thought about the inert gases, all of our bodies here are the end of the projection of the still white magnetic light, which is holy mind. These bodies that each of us have and possess are unique, different, and are the result resulting image of that projector. So we are divine. Never forget that. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right, guys. Good night. Thanks for being here. Much love. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. What a great show. Thanks, guys. Thanks, fans. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Peace, everyone.